You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Chris Tyen from River Rock Church, and today I want to share with you about being loved, chosen, and called to belong to Jesus. Loved, chosen, and called to belong to Jesus. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, the beginning of Paul's great epistle to the Romans that teaches us all about faith and salvation uh, as he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to give us that information and what we have in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul is somebody who is greatly used by God. And here when he writes this in Romans chapter 1, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. Paul is confident, and he knows whom he believes, whom he has believed, uh, what he believes, and how to glorify God by helping more people become believers. You know, you'll remember in Acts chapter 8, uh, we saw that he was persecuting Christians, uh, and then Jesus showed up and helped Paul see he was on the wrong side of faith. And soon the Holy Spirit gave him confidence to know where he stood and what he needed to share. In the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he shares that he was chosen to serve called to belong to Jesus, and confident that we are loved. We need that same kind of confidence. Last week, at the end of River Rock Church's service, uh, it was announced that it's time for my wife and I to leave and go to another church. Uh, it's clear to us that God is calling my wife and I to move on to a new ministry, and our last Sunday will be July 25th. Uh, some of the churches I was applying for take different doctrinal positions or prefer a different style than I'm comfortable with. And it would be easy for me to compromise in some areas just to get the job, but that would not be trusting God. And I would have to live with those choices for the rest of my ministry there. I always tell couples when they're dating or people when they're looking for jobs not to pretend to be something they're not. So if you pretend to be something you're not, then you'll always have to pretend to be that person to make the relationship or the job work out. And that doesn't work out very well. All right, let's get started. Number one, we are chosen to know and share Jesus. Chosen to know and share Jesus. Romans chapter 1, it will be on, on your screen, uh, verses 1 to 4. This letter is from Paul a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here we see Paul accepting the fact that he is a servant, a servant, a slave, one who is subject to the will and wholly at the disposal of his master. Paul was expressing his absolute devotion to Jesus Christ. And we, if we want to be great leaders, we should be the servant of all. Jesus taught that. And let me continue on here. But just this general idea that Paul realizes that his place is to serve Jesus. And that's all he wants to do. He wants to spend all of his days serving Jesus. He wants to spend his life serving Jesus. Romans 1.5 Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. 
That is so exciting to be able to see the beginning of how Romans starts and to realize that Paul went from being somebody who was so against the things of Christ to being somebody that Jesus could use, somebody that Jesus could transform, somebody that Jesus could take his past experiences, his past learning, his past culture, and use that to make it more effective for today. And as I think about that, I wonder about your life. Just think about your life. I mean, maybe you've gone through some hard times. Uh, maybe you're the victim of even crimes. Maybe you lived, a, I want to rhyme, a life that wasn't sublime. I, I don't know why I do that. But maybe there are things in your life that you made some really bad choices and you totally regret. And you ask yourself, how can God use somebody like me? But then we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, that Jesus totally turned around and used for his glory to do everything that was just uh, mentioned in that passage. Paul was chosen to serve. Paul took that responsibility seriously. Paul knew that by telling people how to believe in Christ and to obey Jesus, it would bring glory to his name. It would glorify God. And sometimes uh, the hardships, the difficulties... Uh, the background that we have, our, our upbringing, uh, sometimes it's a mess. And we think that God can't use us. But God can use us. When you tell people about your past life, you don't have to glorify it and talk, say, oh, you don't know how bad I was, and then you know get them all interested in all of your um, stories of uh, the things you did in the past. Uh, instead, uh, I always point to Jesus and how Jesus saved you, how Jesus helped you, how Jesus realized those things that you were into were destructive and not good. And then know that sometimes God can use that experience to help you connect with others, to help others hear your story and say, wow, um, I can relate to that guy or that girl, to that person. I can relate. And Jesus uh, turned their life around. Maybe he can turn my life around too. Uh, sometimes when we do things that are dumb, we learn uh, from our mistakes and it makes us wiser. Sometimes we're even able to share that with other people uh, so that they can learn from our wisdom. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way. But you and I need to do all that we can to be like Paul and to uh, serve Jesus wholeheartedly, serve Jesus without reservation, uh, to be willing to be Jesus' slave. I know that's not a popular term nowadays, but to be totally sold out to Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, if you were somebody's slave uh, and you realized that being with them was better than being on your own, uh, you could make a commitment to serve them the rest of your life. It even involved them driving an awl through your ear uh, to mark that. But you could proclaim your allegiance to your master. Why would you do that? Isn't freedom always better? No. Uh, sometimes you end up in a situation that's better than you could ever get into on your own, a situation that you could never afford, a situation where you're treated better than ever, and you want to stay there. You want to continue to work there. You want to continue to serve this person because they care about you. So yeah, maybe they have more uh, resources. Maybe they have more money. Maybe they have uh, whatever they have, and they're willing to share it with you. But in exchange, uh, you work for them. And uh, with Jesus, he has salvation. He has eternal life. He has eternal reward. And it is exciting to work for Jesus. It is, ex is exciting to serve Jesus. It is exciting to be a servant of our Lord and Savior. 
And when we realize that that's better than anything we could do on our own, I think that makes us more effective in the Christian life. I think that makes us more effective in the way we choose to proclaim Jesus and the way we choose not to be ashamed of what we stand for, to not be ashamed of what we believe, to not be ashamed that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. G. Campbell Morgan said this letter, the book of Romans, this letter is not a tract to be put into the hands of the sinning man in order that, believing what it says, he may be saved. It is rather a treatise to be put into the hands of Christian men in order that they may understand the method of their salvation. So again, in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, Paul realizes and proclaims that he's a servant of Jesus Christ, that he was chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God often chooses us to do things. Maybe God, well, God has chosen you for salvation if you're saved. God might call you, choose you to serve him in a certain way. I believe that he called and chose me to be a pastor, and he's put that on my heart. And if he were to change my heart and set me free to do something else, and if that were his will, I would. But as long as I have this burden on my heart to serve Jesus Christ as a pastor, I will continue to try to pursue that and to see where it leads. Yes, I could do it as a volunteer, and I will if I don't find an opportunity in another place. But I'm going to seek an opportunity in another place so that I can use the rest of my days and energy to uh, not only proclaim Jesus, but also to equip other people to serve Jesus, to lead lost people to Christ, and to help them to live a well life, a life of worship, of encouraging, of learning, and loving. And back to verse 5, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority. Now, Paul is an apostle. We're not apostles. Um, we haven't seen Jesus uh, like the apostles did, but uh, we are given opportunity as Jesus' servants, as Jesus' followers. We're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ and ministers of reconciliation. So uh, we've got the privilege to share Jesus Christ with others. We have the privilege to be Jesus' hands and feet. We have the privilege to live our Christian lives out before others so that they might see something different in us and want Jesus Christ in their life so that everyone that sees that, uh, sees what God has done for them, that they will believe and obey Him and bring glory to His name. And that's why God created us, is so that we would glorify Him. And it is an awesome thing when we do that. Point number two, we are called to belong to Jesus. We are called to belong to Jesus. Isn't it awesome when we feel like we belong when we feel like we belong to a church family, when we feel like we belong on the team, when we feel like we belong in the biological family, when we feel like we belong uh, at our workplace. Romans 1.6, Paul writes, And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. To belong to Jesus Christ. That is something, if we're going to have confidence in our faith, if we're going to live a life that honors and glorifies Jesus, we need to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we are part of the family. We need to feel like we are truly saved and that we're on the team. So if you didn't hear, I have a new dog. Uh, we picked out this newborn puppy, and we were waiting until it was eight weeks old to bring him home. Uh, last fall, we were waiting for a chance to get a puppy, but... Turns out that there was only one in the litter, and the breeder chose to make that girl a show dog. So fast forward eight months, 
and that show dog was runner-up in the, in, the, in the competition. The breeder decided not to continue to try to make that dog a champion show dog and to move on to another dog. So the breeder asked if we would rather take her home instead of the puppy. So instead of the eight-week-old puppy, we decided to take home this eight-month-old show dog, uh, this girl with us. And the last couple of weeks has been really interesting. Uh, it has been tiring also. And uh, it was interesting to watch her try to figure out that she belonged with us. So uh, when we first picked her up, she wasn't so sure, but then she kind of warmed up to us and we put her in our car and drove away. And I think she's used to going to dog shows. So, and sometimes with other people. So maybe she thought she was going to a show, I don't know. But then we brought her to our home and introduced her to our other dog. And uh, so uh, she explored the house. Uh, uh, it took a little bit for her to warm up to us. It wasn't really that long, but this is her home now. And we are her people. So she's figuring it out as fast as most dogs do. But I think the most important thing to do in this transition is to spend a lot of time with her and show her that she is invited, accepted, provided for, cared about, enjoyed and loved. You know, I think that's what the Lord does for us and what we need to do for new people in our church. The Bible, and Paul especially, um, teaches how we're not able to clearly see or understand the things of God without Jesus and the Holy Spirit enabling us to see clearly and understand fully. You know, there's still some mysterious things we don't fully comprehend yet because God's mind is greater than our mind. Matter of fact, Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while you can Find him, call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may, he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. And then it says in Isaiah 55, 8, God says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So how can we comprehend the things of God? We need supernatural help. And we know that when we belong to Jesus and we see the things of God clearly, uh, then we can experience boldness and freedom as we become more and more like Jesus. Uh, since this new way in Christ gives us such confidence, we can be very bold we need to be very bold in our faith. We need to be very bold in living the Christian life. We need to be very bold. We're in a spiritual battle, and Satan wants everything for us to be timid and quiet and sit down and not say anything and not let people know about Jesus. We need to be bold. We also need to be bold to come into the Lord's presence when we need things uh, to approach His throne with confidence, assurance, with boldness. Anyway, verse 13, We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though... It was destined to fade away. So Moses would go up to the mountain and meet with God, and he'd come back with a Shekinah glory glow on his face, and eventually it would fade away. And maybe his face was so bright that they're like, dude, put a, put a cover on, put a veil on. Um, or maybe he put it on so uh, that he could cover up that it was uh, fading away. Uh, but nonetheless, Moses would put a veil on, and sometimes we are veiled, our eyes are veiled, um, let me continue. Verse 14. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. 
And this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Isn't that amazing? So when people come to Jesus, they're able to see clearly. When people come to Jesus, that veil is lifted, and they're able to understand more. They're able to comprehend. They're able to know who the Lord is, and that they're cared for, that they're loved, that they have an opportunity to serve, that they are part of God's family, that they are able to have freedom in Christ. Let me read verse 17. So, verse 16, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome to be able to be part of that? To be able to be part of what Christ has done and is doing and be able to see clearly, to be able to reflect his glory, to be able to have that veil removed, to be able to um, not only uh, know that because we came to Christ, that veil was removed, but when other people come to Christ to watch for that to happen, to understand that that's happening, to understand that as you live the Christian life and share your faith with others, if they're not in Christ, They might think you're weird, not understand what you're doing, um, because there's a veil over their eyes. They're unable to see clearly. When they come to Christ, that's lifted. That is so exciting to be part of that. Uh, Number three, we are motivated by love. We are motivated by love. Uh, One of the greatest motivations is to know that you are loved and to love others. Romans 1 verse 7. I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All of you, Paul's writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and to all of us uh, in Christ, loved by God, loved by Christ, loved by the Lord. And that is so motivating. All right, you want to hear more stories about my dog? Uh, If you're a cat person, you're probably like, oh, I hate dog stories. Anyway, uh, my dog, new dog, eight-month-old dog, she is a very, very energetic Australian shepherd. She runs around the room like a crazy girl. And then she comes over and lays her head on my chest as if to say, do you love me? Do you still love me? I love you. And then a moment later, she picks up her head and she runs off and goes crazy again, running all over the house. It's kind of funny how she does that. It's like, you love me? I love you. All right, bye. But if you scold her, she's usually quick to change her behavior because she appears to love us and wants to please us. Isn't that amazing? She hasn't even known us that long, but uh, she knows we care about her. Matter of fact, I think it's funny because the day that we, uh, when we brought her home, my wife said I have to, that she had to work the next day, so I needed to take that day off so I could be with a new dog. So I did. I was with her and the other dog all day, all day long, so that she would know that uh, we cared about her. She didn't go in her kennel. We didn't put her away. We just spent a lot of time with her in the beginning, uh, letting her know that we cared about her, that we loved her. And now she's motivated to um, be excited when we get home to when she wakes up in the morning or uh, when uh, we do put her in a kennel sometime. When she comes out, uh, she runs around the house and takes attendance to make sure that everybody's there 
and misses the one that, if somebody's not there, misses that person and gets excited when they come home. So um, she appears to love us and want to please us. And when we're motivated to serve God out of love, it makes all the difference in the world. We could be motivated out of fear, but then we just try not to do things so that we wouldn't get in trouble. When we're motivated by love, we try to think of things that we can do to please that person, to please the Lord. And we love because Jesus first loved us. It motivates us to live a holy, sanctified, and set-apart life. Uh, If you're reading in the King James Version or the ESV or New King James Version, uh, it reads something like, uh, ESV says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be saints. So uh, in Christ, uh, positionally, I am a saint. And you are a saint if you are in Christ. So uh, sanctified, set apart. The first Bible verse we memorize focuses on God's love. The very first John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was the first memory verse, Bible memory verse I ever memorized. And my grandpa gave me a quarter for every Bible verse I memorized. And way back then, when I was a little kid, you could actually do stuff with a quarter. Uh, You could get some candy with a quarter. John 3, 16 in the New Living Translation says, This is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Why did God do it? Because He loves. God loves us. God loves people. God loves you. And He loves so much that He gave. He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? You can do it by praying something like this. Follow me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to live among us, teaching us how to live, dying on the cross for our sin, and rising again. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me. Help me to follow you and learn your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Or something similar to that. Something similar to that. The Bible talks about love. Romans 5.8 talks about how love is shown by actions again. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's how God showed his great love for us. And again, love often gives gifts. gifts. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Peter affirms our trust to love Christ, whom we have never seen in 1 Peter 1.8. He says, you love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. That's pretty exciting. I have personally never seen Jesus face to face, but I've experienced him. Answers to prayer, speaking to my heart, um, Holy Spirit guiding and directing um, to know Christ and to make him known. It's so much easier when you've had a personal experience. But just like Peter said, uh, you love him even though you have never seen him. But someday we will see him face to face. And that's where faith comes in. All right, back to Romans 1 7. Uh, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. 
Peace refers to the peace that Christ made between us and God through his death on the cross. Only God can grant such wonderful gifts, and Paul wants his readers to experience God's grace and peace in their daily living. And that's what I want to experience, too. I want to experience grace and peace. For believers, Christ's peace is not escape from problems or turmoil, but an inner calm that permeates life itself. So can I share with you a faith story? A faith story from America's real-life action hero, Chuck Norris. He's like 81 years old now, so he has lived life. Uh, he has experiences to talk about, but there is an article uh, that was put on um, put out by Movie Guide that uh, says, Chuck Norris, faith is now more essential than ever. And here's what uh, uh, Chuck says in his faith story. By the way, I really love faith stories. I would love to hear your faith story. Uh, if you would uh, put it together, maybe you could share it with us. Uh, what your life was like before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ, and what your life has been like since. But since you weren't prepared to share your faith story, I am going to share Chuck Norris's. All right, so let me highlight some things in the article of Chuck Norris's faith story. So he talks about the difficult in the article, he talks about the difficulty of COVID. Uh, last year under COVID, uh, it's been a suffocating for most as a continuous martial arts headlock, he says. Government overreach has become in vogue, cloaked under the umbrella of virus restraint. Our liberties have been stifled like never before, and American losses have been astronomical through unemployment losses, business closures, and a vast array of other personal loss, diseases of despair, etc., the 81-year-old said. However, Nora cited two studies that showed the pandemic strengthened Christians' faith. The first was a Pew Research poll that stated that 4 in 10 U.S. Christians planned to attend in-person Easter services. In fact, an earlier Pew poll revealed that 25% of Americans say their faith has grown amid the pandemic, Norris added. In a recent article from the Harvard School of Public Health titled, Regularly Attending Religious Services Associated with Lower Risk of Deaths of Despair, scientists found that those who attended church were less likely to die from deaths of despair, including deaths related to suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol poisoning, according to new research led by Harvard School of Public Health. All right, back to Chuck Norris's sharing his testimony. That's the best part. He says, Mom raised my brothers and me in the Christian faith. We didn't just attend church in Sunday school, which she taught, by the way. She also read to us from the Bible, prayed with us, and modeled a life of love. Nothing was forced down our throats. It was just lived out in front of us every day. I am who I am today because of my mom's influence. Uh, can I remind you, we're talking about Chuck Norris here, uh, Mr. Martial Arts Action Hero. Walker, Texas Ranger. All right, because of my mom's influence. He says, I was 12 years old when I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and was baptized at Calvary Baptist Church where our family attended. As a young man, I recommitted my life to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. I've always maintained my faith throughout my martial arts, movies, and television career, but there was also a time when I lost my way. As resilient as I thought I was, I swallowed the hook of the Hollywood lifestyle. Mom continued to pray for me throughout those years, and I'm convinced that's how and why God brought Gina into my life. She is a beacon of God's light and love, just as my mom is. 
Gina brought me back to my childhood faith in which compromise was unbecoming. Transparency was a virtue, humility was required, and belief was daily practiced. We always respected all religions and those who hold differing beliefs, but we are unashamed Christians. On Easter Sunday, 2009, I experienced another highlight in my spiritual life. I recommitted my life to Christ yet again, but this time with my household. Gina, our eight-year-old twins at the time, and I all recommitted our lives to Christ and were baptized together by our chaplain. The person who wrote the article said, Amid a tense political landscape, Norris encouraged Christians to rely on their faith. He said, The truth is, faith is more essential than ever. He said, The roles of faith and religion remain central to humanity's success and society's civility, as George Washington so eloquently conveyed in his farewell address. Norris says, I'm not a preacher, nor do I pretend to be. My wife, Gina, and I are Christians, and our faith is the primary anchor for our souls. It's the one thing that offers us true peace, hope, and a remedy against fear, especially through hard times. That's a good testimony. All right, Ephesians 3.16. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. All right, I want to show you a video at the very end here about God's handiwork, uh, but let me share a couple things with you real quick. Uh, River Rock Church is meeting in person Sundays at Oldenburg's Restaurant next to our ministry center at 116 West Main Street in Belle Plaine. So 9.30 a.m. we have church. Uh, find out more about our church and send prayer requests to riverrockchurch.com. We are solely supported by those of you who pray, participate, and give. You can give online at riverrockchurch.com slash give or send it to P.O. Box 184, Bell Plain, Minnesota. Next week, Pastor Dan's going to share faith that survives the fire from Daniel 3, 16 to 18. It's Father's Day Sunday, and what a great message for Father's Day. And then I'll be back on June 27th to talk about help to overcome anxiety. All right, now you can watch In His Likeness. Uh, this video is a reminder of who we are and where we come from. We are the workmanship of God, carefully formed and refined to be who we are meant to be. He has created us with a purpose to do good works and to bring Him glory. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 You have a great week. Before the earth was formed, and time set in motion, the Lord was at work. With perfect vision and careful selection of every attribute, we were chosen despite our imperfections as others may see them. For we are flawless in His eyes. God, the Creator, begins. He shapes refines and molds us into our true identity.
His grace covers us. It is in and through Him that we are filled, sustained, and held together by an all-loving, all-powerful God. Unique in design and the structure set in place, our God puts His primary focus not on the outside, but on the inside of His masterpiece. In the all-encompassing portrait of humanity, God has called each one of us according to His purpose. For He knew us before we knew ourselves, and in His likeness we are designed for His glory. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.